Hello, and welcome to the E-Team Podcast. These are conversations with ministry and marketplace leaders from across the country that provide insight and encouragement. For more information about this podcast and any and all resources provided by the E-Team, please visit us at eTeam-inc.com. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the E-Team podcast, uh, which we like to call uh, E-Talks. And um, today, I'm uh, extremely excited and happy to introduce my two guests um, who we have at the table today. One, Mr. Dallas Stamper and Mr. Doug Haupt. Haupt. There. It's a tough German name. Yeah, Doug Haupt. Um, Dallas is joining us. He is actually the uh, founder and executive director of Penn Ministry, which is People in Need Ministries. Yes. And uh, Doug is a, a pastor of uh, Grace Family Fellowship. Is that correct? Did that is that right? correct. I yep. botched your name a little bit, but I got that right. That's the main thing. All right, so I'm one for one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm just excited to, to be joined by these guys and, and to just um, hear their story and hear a little bit more about um, Penn Ministries. Um, Dallas, you guys are doing some phenomenal work. And when I got a chance to sit down with you not too long ago, I was just so impressed with what the Lord is doing through you and your ministry. And and so if you wouldn't mind, just um, introduce yourself, sure. a little bit about your family sure. Sure. and kind of the story and inspiration behind Penn Ministries. Yeah, so um, my name is Dallas. Um, my wife, Ann, we've been married 33 years. We have two wonderful kids. Um, I have a degree in engineering, um, was an engineering manager at General Electric, um, worked, loved the job there. They paid very well. I'm very thankful for that. Um, at the same time, I became a Christian in 1999, and so I just, um, my wife and I were praying about helping poor people, um, and the Lord just pressed it on our heart to go out and give some sandwiches to some homeless people, and so in June of 2002, we took, you know, 10 sandwiches out and gave them to five homeless guys. Um, it's interesting because we hung out with them for three hours, because um, most of the time when Christians go out, their goal is to feed people. Our goal was to love them. And loving comes through a relationship. And so our goal wasn't to feed them. We used the sandwiches as an opportunity to get to know them. And so we spent three hours talking to them. And at the end, we were like, hey, if we came back next week, would you all be here? And they were like, yeah. And my wife and I were so excited. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is what we thought. We thought that for the next 20 years, we would go out there and feed these five guys. And so if we felt God saying, do you love poor people? We'd say, yeah, we got five friends for 20 years um, we went back the next week and there were 11 people there and then there were 15, then there were 30. So after about six months, we were feeding about 60 people from the back of our Ford Explorer. Mm. Um, and it really started to grow from there. And, you know, we never knocked on anybody's door. We were in prayer the whole time and God kept bringing other people to be part of it. Um, and so it's 2000. Four, and the Lord put on my heart that I needed to leave General Electric and do it full time because it needed somebody to, you know, there's a lot of good things we can do as volunteers, but there are times when people have to take a step of faith and, and do that. And so we sold our house, bought a house a third of the size, used the money to help um, pay me for the first year because Penn couldn't afford to pay me um, in order to start doing things. And so all that sort of came out of that kind of grassroots thought process of what can we do to help poor people. Wow. Um, so that's sort of the, all the things you see around here came out of just two people that didn't know what they were doing that did it. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and you had a pretty high level leadership role at General Electric. I did share a little bit of how that transition was because I mean, you re, obviously you guys were doing a great work. Yeah. There was a passion, there was a burn that was yeah. inside of you. 
that had to be a tough decision. It was easy. Um, I'll right. say that um, the Lord pressed it on my heart that I needed to do it. So I went to my wife and I said, I think the Lord is calling me to leave my job and do pen full time. Um, and so I said, but I'm not going to leave until he tells you because mm. I didn't want to drag my family. And so she laughed at me, patted me on the head and said, go back to work. <laughs> um, but we prayed about it. And six months later, um, she woke me up in the middle of the night and said, the Lord said, you have to quit your job. Um, so I basically, my plan was I went to my, um, the guy that I worked for and I didn't even know he was a Christian cause we didn't talk about those kind of things. Um, he was out of Atlanta and I was in, in Norfolk and I said, Hey, um, the Lord's called me into ministry to do this full time, but I would like to give you a year's notice so that I can train my replacements and do those things. And, um, and one of my coworkers, uh, managers said, that's the dumbest thing ever you you wait till the end and then you get yourself ready. And I was like, well, if he lets me go, he lets me go. Um, and it was interesting because he got to share his faith and I shared mine and he said, yeah. So for six months I had a guy that worked for me that I was training and then we switched offices and then I worked for him for six months. Um, and then I left the job. It was probably the easiest thing I've ever done actually. Um, now don't get me wrong. We almost went broke four months after we started. Um, but the process of doing it was the easiest thing ever. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, um, that's when you, I think, you know, like people like, I don't know if God wants me to do this. I think once you can go no other way, like it was clear to us, everything was lining up that that's the way God wanted us to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a whole nother leadership talk that we could have another podcast on. <laughs> you, you, you train this person for six months and then you work for him and we could, that's a, that's, that's podcast session number two that we'll pick up on. Sure. But for Penn Ministries, um, you have four pillars, uh, yeah. that is basically what your mission yeah. and your structure is based on there. If you don't mind sharing those sure. with us and, sure. and give us a little bit. Yeah. So there's a lot of things we do in here that are important, like showers and food, but those aren't the things that turn people's lives around. And so really the four pillars are housing medical recovery groups. And so we're talking about 12 step groups, alcohol and drug recovery groups and um, job training. So those are the four things working in unison. It's not, you can't just put somebody in a house and expect their life to be turned around and you just can't have them deal with their addiction. It's really a holistic approach to it. And so we have, um, we work with the city um, to get people in housing because they have a housing first model in our country. And so we're trying to get people housed that way. Um, we have doctors and nurses that volunteer um, to help us uh, with medicine and with recent um, uh, Medicaid expansion. Um, it's available for more people now. And so we try to help pe- get people plugged into that. We have 12-step recovery groups. We just hired a young lady who has a master's degree in that to, mm-hmm. to, to run those groups. But really the next level is we're starting to get counselors in. So uh, addiction recovery groups are great to talk about your addiction, but there's a reason why you're using those substances and it's because of brokenness inside. And so we cover that up with drugs. And so to have somebody be able to sit down with a counselor and, and, and actually deal with that other than, you know, take these pills is what we're trying to do. And then our job training program, which is called change makers, we bring people in, we give them the skills they need to get a job and we help them. We house them while they're in the program so that, um, to take that stress off their plate. And it's really like Doug's one of our teachers in those classes. And it's really, What I tell them when they come in is that the only people you know are homeless people. So I'm going to give you a Rolodex of about 60 people that you're going to meet in the next six weeks. Mm -hmm. You get to know them. You get their phone numbers. You get their email addresses. They're influence. And so um, if you just say, hi, Doug, and shake his hand and then leave, that doesn't get you anywhere. But if you say, hey, Doug, I'd like to get coffee with you one day. I bet Doug would. 
and I bet every teacher in this class would. And so we try to encourage them to be proactive about, I always say, your Rolodex right now has zero. By the time you leave, it has as many people as you can get in it. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm giving you people of influence. I'm bringing them to you. You have to now you have to do something with it. And so we try to encourage them to use that in their everyday life is that as you meet people they're in and there you people, you can leverage those relationships to, to help you in the future. And then you'll become a person of influence and you'll be able to help other people by letting them leverage your influence. So That's good. So how do you find some of these counselors? You guys partner with any organizations? We just... do. We have, there's a, a small counseling firm that we get residents from them. And so we pay them, but it's a, it's a discounted rate. I won't say in case somebody, yeah, no, no, no. Um, but they do it. They bring in resident counselors. They're, they're, you know, they're just like, you know, doctors, they've had all their training. They just got to get in Virginia. It's crazy. You got to get so many more hours than you do so many other places to be a counselor. And so yeah. they have to get tons of hours. And so we bring them in and have them talk to people. The young lady we hired has, she has a master's degree of divinity and a master's degree in um, human services with a focus on um, addiction counseling. So she's the perfect person to deal with the spiritual side and the addiction side and to help get people plugged into counseling. Great. So, Doug, tell us a little bit about how, how um, when you first met Dallas, um, give us a story about um, your first encounters with Penn Ministries and what some of your thoughts. Being a pastor, um, at the time, I think you were pastoring a pretty larger, uh, large church at the time, and uh, share that story with us. Sure. The, the first time I met Dallas, now that I hear his timetable, was probably the year that he started his ministry, and so he was going to different churches, and... Um, I had a meeting scheduled with him because I was the executive pastor. And um, that's what happens as the executive pastor. You get <laughs> these crazies like Dallas coming in <clears throat> with other ideas. Uh, so when I met him, I thought, this is this is incredible. The story was incredible, feeding people out of his car. But I'll be honest, I was like, I, we are so, I'm so busy right now. And we have so many different things in our church. And we were trying to do homeless stuff. I was just like, that's really neat. Good luck. <laughs> And uh, that was encouraging <laughs> <laughs> pastoral skills right there. Yes. So, uh, but as time went on, I would, I would, uh, I, I then ended up leaving that church and, and um, starting another small church. And then we started getting involved in serving at Penn. Uh, I got to meet Dallas again. And um, I guess I restored a relationship that I broke pretty bad when I first met him and said, good luck. Mm -hmm. He thought I was a, what did you think I was? I, was? I thought you were a great executive pastor for a big church. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, so it good. was, it was, yes. And I'm not, I'm not proud of that, but I think that can be, that can be a challenge in yeah. ministry mm -hmm. because you're, you're running so fast. It's hard to see the other stuff. And, but what I started realizing, and this certainly isn't uh, groundbreaking, but I'm like, if someone's doing it really well, why wouldn't we just come alongside them and let them let them do it and let and say how can we help you yeah. and so uh we that's what that's what we've been trying to do and i've just gotten to know dallas personally and um had the opportunity to be a teacher in the change makers program and it, that's been incredible mm -hmm. um so yeah. you talked about the first meeting how, when was it then you really started getting engaged what happened on that second third meeting or whatever well i i i after I had left the, the bigger church, I had seen Dallas speak at a men's group that I'm at, and I was like, we, we got to get back together. And so um, at that point, I was freed up and could like actually have meetings with people outside of our church. And so then it was started to be just kind of that. Um, and when 
seeing what they were doing was really great. The other thing that he hasn't really mentioned um, is that Dallas recognized that there was a spiritual need. He recognizes there's a spiritual need. But um, a lot of times, I think I think your dream, and I'm not going to speak for you. Yes, I will. Go ahead. <laughs> was, was, you know, it's for homeless people to find a home church. Yeah. And um, that was really hard. What would happen? Yeah, we would um, take people to churches. Most, um, and, and obviously not the churches listening to this podcast, but um, oftentimes churches want to bring homeless people in because they're an object of their charity instead of actually wanting to build community with them. And so it was very disappointing for me. And it was at the church I was attending at the time. And so what I realized is you guys are very proud that you're serving the homeless, but you're not willing to build community with them, biblical community, real community. And that's what transforms people's lives. What when you're just using them as a object of your charity, then once they've received your charity, then they can go on because they satisfied that. And so for me, what I'm trying to do is we have a church service, but you know, our church service is really built for homeless people coming in. And so as people build up their lives, there are times I'll encourage them to go to another church, but I don't want them to go to a church where they'll be the homeless person who has had their lives transformed. You know, I want them to be able to go and hang out in Doug's church or somebody else's church and just be a member um, because that's too much pressure on somebody to be some thing. Like if you're like just checking out church, you don't want everybody to look at you and go, oh, that's the messed up person that's trying to get their life right. And so for me, it's trying to find places like that for them to go. And one thing I will say is like, Doug's one of the most awesome guys I know. Um, And so like for me, like I needed to get more sort of accountability and mentorship in my life. And I, you know, after getting to know Doug, knowing how awesome he is and how much he has to give, I just went up to him and said, hey, you know, I'd like you to mentor me. He goes, what would that look like? And I was like, I'll buy you breakfast once a month. Are you cool with that? He goes, yeah, I like, I'm eating, in. I like eating breakfast. I'm in. <laughs> and it's, it was, I, I was preaching a sermon on Timothy's and, and, um, and, and, and Paul's. And my wife said, who's your Paul? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't have one. And she said, so I sat down and wrote down who would be good Paul's and, and Doug was that guy. Um, so he really, you know, he's a shepherding kind of guy. So he's, um, that's why executive pastor probably wasn't the right fit for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but like being a pastor of a small church, that's the perfect job for him. And he's in that mode right now. So, yeah, that's good. Well, when you and I first met, uh, you shared a story with me. Uh, I don't know if it was one of the, or I'm not sure where it fit in your season, but you shared about, um, just starting a conversation, just walking up, starting a conversation yeah. with, with someone, yeah. um, with a gentleman, which led to another conversation, yeah. which led to more yeah. conversations. Yeah. And, 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 and basically started the, a direction or to putting this per, yeah. someone on, on a path um, of change. Yeah. And so if you don't mind, I know sure. you probably have a lot of stories and testimonies you can share, but I'll share, share one I'll of share, those. I'll share that one because yeah. it was early on in the ministry and it helped to, to guide which way we were going. Okay. And God really put that in, the, in that purpose because initially I felt like I was going to come out and figure out everybody and, and help them. You know, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. They're going to accept them and their life's going to be good. Um, you know, um, you know, as an evangelical white male in America, that's the answer, isn't it? And so this one guy was out there. The first time I met him, he was laying on the ground. He had a bottle of wine in one hand and, and birthday cake in the other hand. Like it, and it was like a leftover birthday cake from food line. I was like, what kind of cake goes with wine? And he pulled his other hand up and said this kind. And so, um, his name was Bill and, and we, we started to build a relationship through that. I just sat down and talked to him for a while. 
Um, and then um, there was one time that he actually um, told me something good he had done. And I was like, Bill, I'm really proud of you. Mm-hmm. And the look in his eyes was a look of shock. Now, my kids, I tell them I'm proud of them all the time. I'm sure you do. And, you know, but he had not heard I'm proud of you for a long time, you know, being homeless. And so it was interesting because he would then start every week. He would come up to me and tell me something that he had done good. Um, So I think he was actually going out of his way to do good things so he could so I could say I was proud of him. And I tried to experiment one time. I was playing hard to get. And he was like pushing people all the way to come over and tell me what he had done. And he just literally shouted, Dallas, will you stop? I did something good this week and you need to hear about it. Mm-hmm. And so he eventually was able to um, share some things with me about some abuse early on in his life and um, basically got off the street. And it was in that moment that I realized that it's not necessarily all the things. It's the relationship. It's the, you know, it's the listening. It's the, you know, um, when you're homeless, you know, it's hard. I had a guy one time, he was sitting on a bench at the oceanfront, um, and he was looking at, um, there was a mom with her two-year-old daughter, and she was holding her two-year-old daughter's hand, and the girl looked at him, and he looked back at her, and the girl smiled at him, and he smiled back at her, and the girl waved at him, and she waved back at her, and then the mom looked down and realized that her daughter was communicating with a homeless person and she jerked her up by her hand and said, you don't ever look at that kind of person. Mm. So that message was for two people, one for her daughter and one for him. And so when we treat people that way, they tend to not respond well. So for us, it's always eye contact. It's always learning their names. It's always, um, how are you doing? So, um, you know, so that's sort of the, that story really is, I have tons of stories like that, but that was the one that taught me that you're not going to come out here and fix everybody's life. You're going to listen to people, um, you know, and you're going to learn things yourself. So, yeah. Yeah. well, so 2020, we found ourselves right in the middle of it. Um, it's obviously been a very challenging year for all of us. Uh, so what is what does Penn ministry look like today? Um, and in this season, what has kind of changed and what's some of the positives that has come out of this season as well? Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, the pandemic has been really good for our ministry um, in several ways. Um, one of the things, I'm a big thinker, and so I want to make everything big. Um, the pandemic made me think small. So I want to get 50 people. If I can get 50 people, I can get 100 people. Um, but the pandemic's made us be smaller. Um, and so initially, the, the city of Virginia Beach has this place called the Housing Resource Center where people could go get showers and clothes and stuff. But and they have people sleeping there, they had this, uh, the health department shut them down, or not shut them down, but made them shut their day support center down so they could uh, take bunk beds apart and get everybody socially distanced. So the city called us and said, we, they, we have one shower back there. They said, would you open up your shower, or open a day support center? And we said, yes. And so, um, so just so you know, like remember they were coming out with all the numbers as how many people are going to die. The number for Virginia Beach of homeless people is 33 homeless people getting COVID and eight people dying. And so we, I sat down with my staff and I said, here's our choices. We can shut down and then the homeless won't have anywhere to take a shower or do their clothes or eat, or we can be open and we'll do it with safety. We'll do it smart. And, um, and, and so the first thing I did was let one of my staff members go. So now we're short staffed and each, it was two other people and they said, we're in whatever we need to do. And so we've been very smart about masks. We've been very smart about sanitation. We've been very, we know, you know, I believe COVID's dangerous and it's not something to be messed with. And so um, when you come in our building, you put a mask on Um, and they know that there wasn't anywhere else they could go. And 
um, they they were very appreciative during that time. I mean, I think we we were we what we did is for people inside they could come and get a hot meal to go, but if you were outside, you could come in and get a shower. You could do your clothes, and um, the coolest thing about it was I got to know everybody's name. Um, I got to know their coffee orders um, because here's the thing: I run this organization, but I was making their coffee. And so um, for me, like, it's not something I would have done because in leadership terms, you know, you get the right people in the right jobs and Dallas, you're, you're too, you need to go build relationships and we'll take care of this work. But I can tell you that I'll never, I'm so thankful to God for the four months I got to make coffee for homeless people. Mm-hmm. It really um, helped me put the ministry back in the right perspective. And so God's going to continue to have me do big things, I think. Um, but those small things I did really put it in perspective. I learned a lot of people's names. I built a lot of relationships. So, um, so in a lot of ways, I'm thankful for COVID. Um, not, and I know a lot that'll sound weird on your podcast, but I'm thankful that it, it made me slow down and realize that the, the small things are important. And those are things we're not going to go away from. So we're done doing bigger things. I've sat down with my staff is we're not doing, we're going to serve a lot of people, but we're going to do it in smaller groups. Yeah. Um, cause instead of bringing 50 people and cramming them through a clothing closet, it makes sense to bring in even after COVID to bring in 20 people and work with those people and, um, and maybe enable other volunteers to do that and set it up so that it's not, you know, it's, it doesn't sound good when I'm speaking at a men's group to go, Hey, I helped 12 people today, but you know, what did I really do if I brought a hundred people in and gave them food and rushed them out the door? And so for me, it's been, it's been amazing. Um, and that's been a, a thing that I'll always thank COVID for. Yeah. That's good. Well, in a ministry like this, um, you guys are providing a lot of services. You're meeting a lot of needs. Um, but as far as Penn Ministry as an organization, what are some of the maybe the needs or the, some of your greatest challenges that you're facing right now? And and uh, and how can someone come along and help serve and support what you guys are doing? Yeah, so, so part of it is financial. Um, so um, they have a thing. Um, so the model for um, homelessness and in, in going forward is this ideal of housing first. So it's get somebody housing. And so the mass gathering of people like what, what people imagine is is not best practice so um it's called congregate living um but the problem is is like in the past they've had winter shelter which is when it's freezing outside you bring people into churches you bring them into business you bring them into churches and house them there um the problem is now we have covid um and so um what we're trying to do is train the churches and train different people that covid is a bad thing but there are ways to function within it that we don't need to, you know, there, you know, actually some churches aren't meeting and that's probably a good thing for churches because they're keeping large groups of people from being together. But that doesn't mean their building is not capable of housing homeless people at night. They may not be using it because they can do everything they need to do on the internet, but maybe they're now they're building, even though it's sitting there empty, may be able to be used to house homeless people during, um, during the week because we could bring them in, we can sanitize, they'll be socially distant. And the interesting thing is the best practice in our country would say, well, we don't want to put them together. Well, where do you think they're going to be in the woods? At least in a building, we can, ma- we can mandate masks, we can mandate social distancing, and we can give them a safe place to be um, during that. And so, um, so there's going to be some finances we need. Um, we've had, I spent 850 bucks, or actually 1,700 bucks on sanitizers like these guns that spray sanitizer on things, our chemical budget has gone through the roof. And so if somebody was to bless us in that way, that would be a great thing. Um, um, I would say um, the right type of volunteer. So if you're in um, Virginia Beach area and you're you're a gifted teacher, um, if you'd like to come and help our 
you know, uh, in our job training program, we've got that starting up in September. And so, you know, we're not teaching calculus. It's basically, it's financial skills, budgeting, it's, um, it's life skills. Um, how do you process anger management? It's a biblically based course. So we have a whole curriculum. We really, we call it a different view of work, but really a biblical view of work that like God created us to work. Um, and really when we're functioning well is when we're working in a job that we feel like God has provided us. Mm. Um, and so sometimes it's for us to realize that, you know, God might've provided this job at McDonald's and let me work at it. Like, um, like I'm working for God. I, one of my most spiritual guys I know is a guy by the name of George. And he, he, whenever I had a problem, I didn't go to my pastor. I went to him. He was an auto mechanic. And if you asked him what he did for the Lord, he'd say, I fix people's cars for the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of, um, that, that, so if you have skills that you, and you live in this area, you can help us. Um, like I said, always financially, um, is beneficial to us. Um, God's been good to this ministry through the pandemic. I'm not going to lie. Um, there's been a lot of people that have stepped up and helped us, but as we get towards, you know, this thing's not over yet. And I think, you know, it started and everybody was, let's give, let's give, let's give. But now it's it's becoming part of society and it's old news. And so I'm afraid it's not gone yet. And so there there may be some, some, some hard times still to come. What's the best way for someone to financially give? Yeah, they or? could just go to pinministry.org, P-I-N ministry.org. And, um, you could just go and donate, um, you know, um, and I guarantee you it'll go. The one nice thing is we're, we're really grassroots. So, um, you know, I'm the executive director, but, um, I make coffee too. Um, so everybody that's here is wears a lot of hats and they realize that coming in that, you know, that that's what they're going to do. And so it's going to go directly to help people. Um, we don't have thrift stores. We don't do that. If you donate clothes to us, you know, a homeless person is going to be wearing it. When I worked at, um, 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 the company before GE, um, the owner of the company called me in and said, Hey, are you giving my shirts to homeless people? And I was like, well, you gave them to me. So technically they're my shirts. <laughs> he said, I need you to stop giving them to homeless people. And I was like, well, you'll probably have to stop giving them to me. Then. Yeah. <laughs> That's, okay. That's good. Well, and you mentioned about, um, so there may be a pastor listening to this or, um, someone with a facility that could house, um, some people, um, just speak into that a little bit. Cause that, when you say that they may be thinking something. So can you speak into maybe some of the misguided thoughts that we could have or perceptions that we have when we hear, um, providing a space for. Homes? Yeah. So, so really if you're a pastor in Virginia beach and you've got a building that you, you know, let's, let's get to brass tacks. God gave you that building, mm-hmm. um, and wants you to utilize it. And, um, there's a whole ton of people on Facebook talking about how the government is keeping them from using their building, maybe in the way they think they're going to use it, but maybe there's other uses for those buildings. And so we're very good at sanitizing. We sanitize everything. Like I said, we have spared no expense. We've gone to beach chemical here locally. We found out what are the right chemicals to sanitize things. So we will sanitize everything. Um, When people come in here, they don't touch anything. They sit at their table. We bring them food. If they want salt and pepper on their their meal, we put it on there. And so, um, and the nice thing is, is this is a thing that their, their church could be involved with, you know, with under our guidance, they could bring the homeless in during a pandemic. And like, you know, when, you know, they have mask on, we have mask on and, and put pepper on people's, um, um, food, you know, talk yeah. about being humble. I'm, 
put pepper and salt on a homeless person's food. And so um, that's modern day washing feet, I think, since that's usually not a custom we do in America anymore. Right. And so um, and so I think if that's something you do, I would love it if a pastor would just at least let me come and talk to them. Mm-hmm. Don't make a commitment. Just let me talk to you and talk to you about what you would be you're not even signing up for anything um, because it's funny. It's crazy. I hear on Facebook all the time, like, well, the government is keeping us from being the church. I'm like, get out of here. Really? They're not. Right. You may have to think through what church is. You've gotten used to be in church in a certain way, just like I got used to running a nonprofit in a certain way. And we've just had to find different ways to do it. I had right. a church that the governor came down with a thing that you could only have a certain amount of people in their building. And so what they did is they did an outdoor service and they told everybody to bring, um, sunblock and bug spray for the homeless. And we got two big boxes of bug spray, like huge, that'll, that'll last us the whole summer. And probably they wouldn't have done that if they had their normal service. Right. But because they couldn't have their normal service, it caused them to think through, how can we be a blessing in this thing? And so for me, I want to challenge any pastor that's listening to this to not think about what you can't do, but to think about what you can do. Right. And so maybe your building's been empty for a reason. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can think through that and, you know, and, and if we sit down and talk and it doesn't work for you, I'm good. You know, I'm, yeah. I'll talk to another person and, you know, I know God's already thought this out. He's, he's just working on me to help me to work through how I'm going to think this out. So, yeah. well, and that's, that's good. And Doug, you, you hit on it a little bit earlier about, you know, uh, as a pastor, um, why reinvent something? Why not mm-hmm. partner with another organization who is doing it day in and day out and has staff that can come along and take what the Lord has given us and to open it up and allow partnerships to come along and be a part of it. And so that's so good. So, Hey, Dallas, Doug, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Um, Those of you who are listening, uh, it's pinministry.org. Yep. P-I-N-M-I-N-I-S-T-R-Y.org. Go check them out. It's a great organization. And um, thank you guys again so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening in. We really hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information about our podcast and other resources provided by the E-Team, please visit us online at eteam-inc.com.